0: Welcome to the CMR Podcast, I'm Michelle O'Connor, President and CEO of CMR Institute. CMR is a not-for-profit educational organization providing training to the life sciences industry that enhances healthcare and empowers today's sales professionals. We've created a podcast series to help you develop a new customer approach for the market you serve. In this episode, we discuss contract implementation and maximization at the field level with experts Mila Maloney, VP, Strategic Accounts at Premier, and Alistair Barrow, CMR's value-based selling expert. From everything
1: that we're doing in preparation for sales elevation in 2019, what we're finding is can really be summed up in three key takeaways. One, device makers are going to need to become consultants and managers of business, not just a deliverer of uh, products and, um, and solutions. Uh, number two, device makers will have to be vertically integrated or at least think about vertically integrating the same way that our providers do uh, by investing in healthcare providers um, and opening up new revenue streams for providers and for themselves as well. And then finally, and probably most importantly, device makers will need to become risk bearers, which is really, really interesting. And it's because our providers are being asked to take on more risk as the years go by. Um, To discuss the third takeaway, uh, we're privileged today to have Myla Maloney, who is the VP of Strategic Accounts with the Applied Science Group at Premier. Uh, Myla is also an expert on the value-based contracting side with Premier. So we're really uh, privileged to have her here today. Myla?
2: Great, Alistair, thank you so much for the introduction, and I'm pleased to be able to talk to you a bit about how we've been approaching value-based contracting at Premier, but also talk about that engagement piece, because I know that's really the point of this discussion, is how do you really maximize this at the field level? And so what I'm going to share about maximizing value-based contracting really could transition to maximizing other types of contracting, but I think as many of you listening know, That really is a hot topic right now with our IDNs. Recently, Premier did publish a survey that we did with C-suite members of large IDNs and we found that over 80% of IDMC suite members are interested in value-based contracting. And if you get a chance to look that survey up, it is uh, publicly on our domain, you would be able to see that there is even more robust information about the types of value-based contracting that they're interested in, as well as the complexities. So really the purpose is to first give you an overview of how we define value-based contracting, and then share with you how you could fully execute this well as a field team member. So to start, I'm going to show you the definition from Premier's perspective of value-based contracting. And So I should mention that many times we hear risk share, risk-based, all of those we consider pretty synonymous with what we're trying to accomplish with value-based contracting. However, we at Premier landed on value-based contracting because risk sharing is actually probably a little more advanced than most of the contracts that we see in this space. So really what we view is that if you are creating a value-based contract, you're really trying to holistically approach the assessment of your product or service and the discount mechanism that you have against what an IDN needs. So that's very broad. That sounds very theoretical. So I want to spend a a decent amount of time breaking that down and saying, what does that mean? If you're creating a way to assess your value prop against what an IDN or a provider or any other HCP needs, how would you actually do that? So what you see on the screen right now are the four ways that we at Premier believe you can engage in value-based contracting with providers. And that last two words, those are actually the critical words because there have been value-based contracting for years with payers. And those are great contracts, they're very needed, but what we're proposing is something that is provider focused, something that would enable a behavior change with a provider via a contract. And so I'm gonna go through each one of these and I'm going to provide examples as well. And then afterwards, we're gonna talk about how then you would actually implement this and maximize this in the field. So the first is an evidence-based care discount. And it's actually exactly as it sounds. You would use a contract that discounts in exchange for the implementation of an evidence-based care practice. So an example of that is a product that is used for perioperative nutrition. And in this example, what the manufacturer found was that while the product was not very expensive and easy to use, it was not getting utilized. What was even more confusing about it is that it had proven over 30% reduction in surgical site infections. So, you've got a product that costs just over $100 a day that meets a very critical, established need with an IDN, but it didn't have as much utilization as you would expect given that uh, paradigm. So, what we helped them do was look across the total patient journey as it relates to pre, during, and post-surgery and where uh, nutrition fell in and where it might be falling short. And what was found is that when a patient was coming in for surgery, there was a list of things that had to be discussed with them. And and if any of you have had surgery or if you have a family member that has had surgery, you know that that's true. What was not making that list was the importance of nutrition. It just wasn't hitting the mark of things that felt like a priority on that checklist. So they created a contract with us that if an IDN agreed to have and document a discussion prior to surgery with a patient around the importance of perioperative nutrition, they would get a discount on the product. So very easy to implement, easy to capture, easy to do, and then would lead to the hopefully the utilization of their product. So this is one that is really popular with the premier IDN members because of the simplicity of it and because it aligns to something that they really want to do. They just weren't sure how to do it. And so we have about 15 IDNs that have signed up for this. And we have a couple that have now been in it long enough that we have data points that show that for those systems that implemented this type of value-based contract, they did have an increased utilization of their product. They did see a reduction in surgical site infections, and now they have a better clinical practice around perioperative nutrition um, for for any patient that that it's necessary for surgery. So again, that's a very simple one. You give a discount based on implementing some sort of clinical evidence. I will tell you, for those of you that are in pharma, this is a very popular one because you're not discounting in exchange for use of product so you don't fall into issues with anti-kickback. So a lot of the pharma manufacturers that we're working with in value-based contracting tend to focus in this type of bucket. So I'm gonna move to the next one. And what you'll notice as I move down this list is that they become progressively more complex as you move along. So the next is a product or service guarantee. And just like in the last one, the title is somewhat self-explanatory. So you as the supplier of a product would guarantee your outcome. What happens if you don't meet the outcome that you guaranteed is that you would discount the cost of your product as a result of not doing it. So let me give an example here. We have a recently launched one around pressure ulcer boots. And in this example, they will work with the IDN to establish an appropriate reduction in pressure ulcers with the utilization of their boots as well as other clinical interventions. So it's really great, this is a very comprehensive contract. What happens is, if the IDN is interested in entering in this agreement, the supplier actually goes in and takes a look at their current practices around pressure ulcer reduction. And then they make a a number of recommendations and would include the utilization of their boot where appropriate, but also other recommendations. So for example, are their nurses educated around proper pressure ulcer reduction techniques. Also, do they keep the pressure ulcer boot in the room and accessible? Do they turn patients at the appropriate cadence of time? And so they will have to agree to do everything, not just use the boot, but also all of the other portions that are necessary to reduce pressure ulcers because it isn't just about that device. And so let's say they say, yes, we agree to all of these things. And then the company says, great, Based on that, we believe we can reduce your pressure ulcers by 10% over a 12 month period. And now let's fast forward and you get to the end of the 12 months. And let's say in this example, they reduce pressure ulcers by 8%. That is fantastic. That is going to save that hospital tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars in the reduction of pressure ulcers, including hack penalties, increased length of stay and other complications, but it's not what they agreed to. They both agreed that 10% was that target number. So in that example, you would consider that a 20% non-success rate. So they would take a look at the cost of all of the pressure ulcers that were purchased over that 12-month period and apply a 20% discount. What's great in that example is that they still are probably going to want to continue to work with that group with that supplier because they got great consulting, they reduced their pressure ulcers, they can reassess and determine why they didn't meet that mark, but the level of engagement between that supplier and that IDN is at such an increased level. That's a different kind of relationship and a different kind of engagement. So that would be an example of a product or service guarantee where you guarantee your outcome, and then if it's not met, you then discount related to the cost of the product. Now, the third, risk share by product, and this one does get more complex, as I indicated earlier, the setup is the same. The supplier will guarantee a certain outcome for their product or service. But when the outcome is not met, that's when it differs from the previous example. In a risk share by product, if the outcome for any reason is not met, there is a discount associated to another cost that the IDN incurred as a result of the failure, not the cost of the product. It would be another associated cost. So there is an example here, and this is one that's um, pretty out there in the public. Some of you may be familiar, even though I won't name the supplier. It's one that many of you may have heard of. And this is around an envelope that is used for certain types of surgeries. So if this envelope is used in in a patient where it's indicated, and the patient presents back in six months with a CIED infection after that envelope is used this supplier will give the hospital a ten thousand dollar check and the reason is that they have done an assessment to determine that the cost reimbursed to the hospital when this happens versus the actual cost to the hospital has on average a ten thousand dollar gap so if they present back with this infection within six months that's the amount they give them. So similar to the last one, it's based on an outcome not being met. What's different is that the discount is associated to a cost to the hospital. This is a very broadly used one as well with premier members as well as outside of premier premier members. What I'll share with you in this example is that we actually had one of our member IDNs have a patient present back with a CIED infection, they were immediately reimbursed that $10,000 from the supplier. But we've spent a lot of time talking to this member and understanding their perception on what what they feel about this product as well as the supplier as a result. And it actually makes them wanna use the supplier's product even more because they understand that CIED infections are a risk, it's reduced by using this product, and if it's not fully eliminated, they are protected. So it actually improved the relationship between those two. And what's also interesting is as we've had other members become potentially interested in this contract, we've been able to work with this supplier to bring in the member who had the failure uh, into conversations and talk to them and explain why they love this contract and why they believe this other member should use it as well. So from an engagement perspective, it's actually been very positive. So that's an, an example for risk share by product. The last one is risk share by alternative payment model, and this one will not take long to describe because I'm not going to really share an example, but to talk about what this one would do. In a risk share by alternative payment model, what would happen is that you would actually see true upside, downside, shared risk between the supplier and the IDF. So think about an example where you have potentially an ACO. So this is an at-risk scenario. So you've got an IDN that has an ACO. And in that example, if the product helps them perform in a positive way, they actually have the potential to make a lot of money. I mean, there's times where you can make even millions of dollars. So in this example, if you are able to show that as a result of a supplier's product or service, the IDN actually made money in an ACO model, they would give some of that To the supplier. So instead of like in the other examples, the supplier is just paying out to the member in exchange for either a clinical intervention or if their product doesn't do what they said it would do, in this example, the IDN would actually give money back to the supplier. So several reasons why this isn't happening today. One, as many of you know, there's really not a scenario in an IDN where all of their patients are at risk. There's still actually a larger portion that are in a fee for service model. So while we're all watching, the healthcare market and we all know that it's going to go for a value model then today we're really still at volume so it's hard to segment out patients and just do pockets and figure out how to share that the other piece is nobody's really figured out from a regulatory perspective how you do this so how do you have a shared profitability between an idn and a supplier we still believe that we will get there We also believe that our members, as well as our supplier community, are interested in this. We hear it plenty. So we're ready to help figure this out with suppliers as they get there, but we're just not there yet. It's just more progressive than where the market is today. I will say for anyone that listens to this, if you do have one and you're interested, we at Premier are very interested in talking about it to you and helping you figure out how you would implement it with your customers, and we would be part of that work to get it done with you. So I spent a good amount of time talking you through what we believe value-based contracting is with examples. I now wanna shift to talking about how you implement it. How would you maximize this with an IDN and and as a field member? So I've now put up an example of what we're doing to help understand which of our members can actually do value-based contracting. And this is our member readiness assessment tool. And the reason we did this is that while it's exciting and while I shared with you over 80% of our members are interested, not all are ready. And in fact, the ones that say yes to you first about value-based contracting may be the ones that are least ready because they know they need the help. And while you want to help them, this is a very progressive and a very complicated type of contract to do. And so if you bring this to the wrong member and it's not, or the wrong health system and it's not successful, then that's not good for you or them, but more importantly, it's not good for the patient. And that's really what we're all focused on. So what we wanna do is help ensure that we can help you as a supplier community bring these to the right members in the right way. So last year we deployed this assessment tool. Now I will say we already have a good idea of some of our members, a large portion, that are ready for value-based contracting based on other work we do with them. But we realized there was probably a bolus of, of healthcare systems out there that are ready that we weren't aware of because we haven't done this type of work with them. So this assessment is actually nothing rocket science. If you look at the left, there are several domains that tell you whether or not by answering that question, a health system would be ready. And these are things that you probably do when you're assessing your customers yourself. So culturally, is this something they want to do? Do they have the right level of clinical integration? Do they have the right data interoperability and EHR capabilities? Do they have financial alignment with their physicians to incent them around this? And then what you see on the right are examples of the questions that you would answer so they i mean the answers to those questions so there's usually four potential answers that give you a score of 1 to 4 1 would mean that the answer is less progressive 4 would mean that the answer is more progressive and so you would answer these and then the bottom scale is actually a, a bar that moves so that black bar that you see actually moves to the right or left depending on the answer and I know that it moves it's pretty neat technology i didn't create it one of our really smart data analyst people did, but it, I've played with it and moved in and watched the black bar move. Maybe I have a little too much free time, but it is interesting to watch. And so in this hypothetical example, a 2.8, and you can see where that bar falls, this hypothetical health system is ready, but at a novice level. And so as we've been able to assess our members, we have this ability to now help match. And so what happens is if they're ready, you know, either ready at a novice level all the way to ready, we now have a pool of healthcare systems that we know are ready for a value-based contract. And then we've worked with our suppliers to say who has a value-based contract. So now we have a pool of suppliers that are ready for a value-based contract. And now we start to match them because you might be ready, but not for each other. So then we would work with you to say, what's the next set of questions you would now want to ask one of these ready members to see if they're ready for you? So is it, you know, do you have the ability to access them? Can we help you access them? Do they even have the problem that you're trying to solve? Would they be interested in solving it with you? And so there's another set of questions you have to answer because just being ready doesn't mean they're ready for you. So now let's say we've created a situation where we have some healthcare systems that are ready and we've established that they're ready for you. Now you have to figure out how you engage them around this because this is not your typical conversation. So for instance, if your typical touch point is with somebody that's in supply chain and you wanna bring in a contract where they only save money when your product is not successful, they actually may not want your product to be successful. So they're not in it for you to be successful because the discount's bigger if you fail. And so you really need to ensure while they're part of the discussion because they have to help implement it, you need to know who else in that IDN is going to be critical. So for instance, if you have somebody that is leading population health, or maybe even the CFO that truly understands what is the whole revenue cycle, you need to fully impact total cost of care, not just about the discount on the product. And that's really an important nuance to these is that it's a different set of individuals that you need to engage. So it could be financial, could be pop health related, obviously will have to involve supply chain. If you're in a pharmaceutical company, you need to involve pharmacy. And then you need to figure out how you get all of these people aligned because their incentives are probably different. So then you have to ask yourself, what does that look like? If you're working with Premier, we would actually help you do that because we have engagement across a multitude of functions within that IDN. So we can help bring some of those different roles to the table that may not be the people you engage with. That doesn't mean you have to do this with Premier. If you don't work with Premier, it doesn't mean all is lost. You may have other ways to engage them, but you have to think about how are you gonna get all of these different stakeholders at the table? And then once you do, what is it that you're going to share with them to make sure they all get it? Because again, they have different roles, different interests and different incentives. So you have to figure out what's that story that you're gonna share with them That they're all gonna get, okay, wait a minute, this is important to me, this is important to this person. So then let's say you've gotten there. So now you've gotten everyone at the table engaged, they all get it, whether it's with Premier, without Premier, nonetheless, you've gotten them all engaged. Now you have to figure out how you're going to pull that through. So if you think back to that example I gave around pressure ulcer boots, in addition to doing an assessment in the beginning, they also have set up that quarterly they will go in and determine how it's going so they're going to look at the numbers even though it's an annual measurement they're going to look at the numbers quarterly and say are we on track where might something be going wrong is there additional education we need to do they actually even wrote into their contract that if a new clinician starts that has an impact on pressure ulcers they have a certain amount of time to also engage in education with this supplier around the product and preventing pressure ulcers. So these are all things you have to think about with value-based contracting. Isn't it just getting them signed up and then coming back 12 months later and hoping everything worked out? You've gotta figure out what's the cadence that you need to be engaged in to determine, is it successful? are you still engaged with all the right people because in the beginning they're going to be really excited but as it goes I means over a 12-month period many other things are going to hit their radar maybe even other people doing value-based contracts so you have to figure out how you're going to stay in front of them and very engaged and then you have to figure out what that dialogue is going to sound like at the end of 12 months so if you're very successful That's fantastic. That's wonderful. That's what we hope happens. That's great for everybody. So if you get to the end and you meet or exceed the outcome that you all committed to, that's a great day. But then what are you going to do next? Do you need to continue it as a value based contract? Or maybe you've proven your value and the cost of your product enough that you can just move to a regular contract and now your relationship's at a new level and you can do new engagement. What could happen is you get to the end and I gave a couple of examples of where it may not meet the the mark. Of course, those were all hypothetical, but if it doesn't, what does that dialogue sound like? You certainly don't want to lose that account. You don't want them to stop using your product. So how do you assess together why it didn't meet the end point that you said it would and how you're going to move forward? Both of those scenarios could happen. Either way, you have to have a plan to keep that engagement. So it's really about, identifying that right IDM, that right healthcare system, that right hospital, engaging all of the people that need to be engaged to get the commitment to make sure that you're partnering as you pull this through, setting up what those touch points are going to look like along the way, and then at the end, having a plan to carry it past the point of the contract, whether that's 12 months, 24 months, whatever that is. But no matter what, this is a type of engagement, a value-based contract, that will take your business relationship with an IDN to that next level. Because it's different, it's unique, it's helping them meet some of the needs Alistair talked about at the beginning of this call, and it certainly gives you engagement and access in a different way.
0: Hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Don't let the conversation stop here. Connect with us on LinkedIn, Follow us on Twitter, and reach out today to learn how your organization can succeed in today's marketplace.